Let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for this class, Lord, for my brothers and sisters that we can gather together each week. I thank you especially for our prayer time, Lord. We are so busy and life is so challenging at times and we don't always stop to look to you. But I thank you that you've given us an environment where we can get to know one another and share our burdens. And I pray that as these prayer groups go forward over the next many months that we will make new friends and old friends will become even closer and that we will be able to lift one another up in prayer on a regular basis. Lord, we have many needs in this group. We have many issues and we have health issues and family issues and on and on it goes. But I thank you that we have one another in the midst of all of those to encourage and strengthen ourselves. And I pray, Lord, now for this time we have together and when I open the Word of God, I pray that you give me wisdom and clarity in teaching and that the message that I'll share would be encouraging with my brothers and sisters today. And I pray, Lord, for the next months of faith builders as there will be some challenges with different timing of things. I just pray that it will continue to be a place where we're encouraged and where we can grow in our love for you. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Today I'm just going to teach something that I've gone back to many times, and it's from the book of Hebrews, which means you would have heard this probably 10 years ago, um, a long time ago, but it's some verses that I go back to over and over. And as I was trying to think of what would I share today, I was just reminded, it was a burden in my heart, what happened to Mike and Amanda. You're going along and you're rejoicing and you're happy because you just had child number five and boom, heart attack. But if you look at the prayer list, we have so many issues in our church. And David Howard's father passing away last night. And over and over, it just reiterates that we are a needy people. Not in some bad way, but life is very hard. I won't ask for a witness, but I could get a witness probably from everybody in here that the struggles are real and our bodies break down and our Children don't walk with the Lord and our family members go astray. Life on this sin-filled planet is not easy. The older I get, many of you are older than me, the older I get, the more I look forward to heaven in part to be, well, it's to be with Jesus, but also it's to be gone from here. (laughs) To be done with this body and the aches and pains and the groaning. But the fact that you're hearing my voice and I'm looking at you, the Lord hadn't decided to take us home yet. So while we're here, we have troubles. But God stands ready to help. So I want to encourage us this morning in the midst of our struggles. We're going to go to Hebrews chapter 4. So if you have your Bible or you have your app, we're going to look at just a few verses in Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 to 16, verses again that are encouraging to me and that I return to over and over, not because I need to tell other people about them, but because I need them in my own heart. So I'm going to read these verses and then I'm going to talk about the encouragements that we can get from them. So Hebrews chapter 4, beginning at verse 14. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. 
For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. As we covered Hebrews for years, and probably I'm going to preach a couple of messages in a few weeks on Hebrews, because I'm almost done with Hebrews preaching it in church as well. I'm in chapter 13, and so I, I'm going to try and finish it. But Hebrews was written to believers that were struggling. They were enduring hardship. And for some of them, they were wondering, is Jesus enough? They were from a uniquely Jewish background. They were tempted to go back to Judaism and the entirety of Hebrews is no, Jesus is enough. But part of the reason I think false teaching is proliferating today is because believers are asking, is Jesus enough? Do I need something else? Because life is still hard. I've got Jesus, they tell me, but my problems didn't go away. And Hebrews was written in part to say, Cling to Jesus, press on, keep going, don't give up. Don't turn away from the faith, that's where the hope is. And there are harsh warnings in Hebrews at various points to deceive people, the type of people that Jesus will one day say, depart from me, I never knew you. But there's also great encouragement, and that's where we are today. So as I go through this, it's just three encouragements for us in the midst of our struggles. And it's tied into the fact that Jesus is our great high priest. So if you are struggling today, or if you're coming out of a struggle, or if you see yourself going into a struggle, or even if you want to pray for other people who are in the midst of struggles, pray that these words would be encouraging. So the first encouragement is this. We have hope to stand firm in the faith. We have hope to stand firm in the faith. Verse 14 says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. The idea is because of what Jesus has done and because of who he is and because of our standing in Christ, we can do this. It's commanded, hold fast our confession. And in our world... The high priest doesn't mean so much to us because we really don't have high priests that we think of. But to the original hearers, Jesus, being called the high priest, would have great impact. In chapter 2, verse 17, the writer had said, Therefore he had to be made like his brethren in all things, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. And in the Old Testament, the high priest was the one who on the Day of Atonement could go into the Holy of Holies and offer the sacrifice for the entire nation. And Jesus was able to do something that that high priest couldn't do and that he made propitiation for the sins of the people for all time. And it's clear we have a great high priest, meaning greater than anything else. For the Jews, Jesus was a person 
greater than any of the high priests they had ever known, historically or otherwise. And again, in this original context, some of them were wanting to go back to the temple worship of the Old Testament. And the writer was saying, in essence, look, you want a high priest, you've got the great high priest. Don't look over there, look at Jesus. And even his expression that he's passed through the heavens has significance for us, particularly on the later exhortation for us to pray because again it creates images of the day of atonement the high priest one day a year and only the high priest would walk through sections of the tabernacle and one day the temple and he would pass through one area to another area into the holy of holies and it was an order and it mattered you could look in Leviticus 16 and read about it. And, and the rules were so strict that if the priest did it the wrong way, the high priest could die. But in their world, it was one time on one day, once a year, and that was the only access that anybody had to God. And when it says Jesus passed through the heavens, it's making clear to us what is taught elsewhere in the New Testament is that Jesus destroyed the barrier between God and man for those who are clothed in the righteousness of Christ and who've been forgiven by his blood. That's why the Bible talks about the veil of the temple being torn in two. It's because that barrier between God and man was gone. And he's painting a picture that Jesus is superior to anything else. Jesus, the Son of God, He's passed through the heavens. He's Jesus, the Son of God. He has direct access. And the writers made clear before that Jesus is greater than Moses and Jesus is greater than the angels and Jesus is greater than any earthly priest. And he's painting a picture that this Jesus, who is all these things, the Son of God, the great high priest, is our Jesus. He's our Savior. He's the one that cares for us and loves us. And so because of all those things, because he's a great high priest who made propitiation for our sins, because he passed through the heavens destroying the barrier between God and man, giving sinners who've been forgiven and placed their faith in Jesus access to God, he is the son of God. Because of all these things, let us hold fast our confession. That really is what I hope we're going to be studying about and learning in Second Peter, but we should learn it from anywhere in the Bible. The confession is just our faith in Jesus and the sufficiency of His Word and the sufficiency of His work on our behalf. It's to hold firm, to be fully committed to Christ, rooted in Him. Again, the writer gave some hard warnings in his letter to those who were unbelievers masquerading in the church. But to believers, it mattered to him, focus on Jesus. That's the hope. In Hebrews 3.1, he said, Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of a heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession. Hebrews 3, 6, but Christ was faithful as a son over his house, whose house we are, if we hold fast our confidence and the boast of our hope firm until the end. Hebrews 3, 14 says, if we hold fast, 
the idea, certainly we understand theologically that Jesus is holding us. But our responsibility as believers is to cling to the truth, to cling to our confession of faith, to cling to the scriptures. And the hope is we can do that. Because God is enabling us, God is equipping us, we have hope to stand firm in the faith even when everything around us is screaming, look over here. It's the worst part about so much of the false teaching that's permeating our society that's creeping into the church is that the Word of God clearly shows it to be false and yet false teachers are trying to convince people it's true. Which will result in some people walking away from the faith. But because of what Jesus has done for us, we have hope. And we can stand firm in the faith, and that's an encouragement for us. The second encouragement is this. First, we have hope to stand firm in the faith. Second, we have sympathy in our bodily weakness. We have sympathy in our bodily weakness. Verse 15 says this. For we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in all things as we are, yet without sin. This is precious truth. And the reason I said I go back to it over and over is because I need to be reminded of it over and over. Particularly if you're walking through a spiritual dry spell, it can feel like God is distant from us. Now, of course, if we're actively sinning and failing to repent, God is temporarily distanced from us for his heavy hand of discipline is upon us. But there are times that we know we don't necessarily feel close to God for a variety of reasons. And I think quite often a lot of it is tied up into the frailty of our physical beings. I'm certain, it certainly happened in our group, but I'm certain if we went around the room looking at our ages, every one of us heard some prayer request for some physical issue, either of ourselves or somebody else that we love. These bodies are breaking down and it affects us. It's neither here nor there. People have a lot greater struggles than I do. I'm using this as an illustration. I have had a shoulder that's been hurting me for two years not debilitating where I'm falling on the ground and crying, but it hurts all the time. And it wakes me up at night when I roll on the wrong shoulder. The other day, I didn't even told Debbie this, we were in the grocery store shopping for the elders retreat over in Orlando because we were having a lengthy meetings to talk about some things. And I started to drop something. It was a bag of coffee. And I reached out and grabbed it. And I caught it. That was a good thing. But I crumbled in pain. Mike Mitchell was looking at me like, what in the world just happened? Um, it's just a bag of coffee. And I'm like, but the point is this. Those things accumulate over time. And they affect how we're feeling. They affect how we're thinking. And there's a sense where the reality that Jesus, who is God, was fully human is comforting. Because he would have understood something about that. He understood what it was like to be uncomfortable, to be hungry, for example. It's very clear from his tempting in the wilderness. 
He felt the pain of human emotions. I, I always go back to the fact that Jesus wept. He was hungry. He was tired. He felt rejection, including for a period of time from his own family, where they thought he was nuts. He knew what it was like to be rejected and to made fun of. And he knew beyond anything we could ever comprehend what it was to hurt physically. We can, at times, if we're not careful, at least it happens to me, I think of Jesus as I should with a glorified body at the right hand of God and he is there. But when he was on the earth, he understood what it was to hurt. And he understood the implications of that because quite often moments of temptation come when we're hurting and when we're weak and when we're tired and when it's harder to resist. And so when the writer of Hebrews says, we don't have a high priest who can't sympathize with our weaknesses, it's encouraging to us. He was tempted in all things. He understands what we face. And he understands it not in some arrogant, condescending way of saying, well, I could do it, you can do it. He understands because he loves us and he cares for us. He doesn't pity us. He stands ready to help us and to intercede for us and to strengthen us when we're weak. If you were ever tempted to say, well, what does Jesus know of my struggles? He knows everything about your struggles including the impact of having a body that's breaking down and hurting. Now, of course, even though Jesus was externally tempted, he didn't sin. But he understands temptation nonetheless. Hebrews 2.18 says, For since he himself was tempted in that which he has suffered, he's able to come to the aid of those who are tempted... The, the writer is reiterating those truths in our verse this morning. He can understand. And the reality is, in case we're ever tempted to say, well, but he was God. Yeah, he, okay, I'll, I'll could submit he experienced all these things, but he's not really because he's God, so he can't understand. I can tell you from Scripture that in your weakest moment, when you're hurting and when you're doubting and when you're struggling, and when at that moment your own flesh is turning against you and Satan with his wiles and schemes perhaps sends demonic influences through others to tempt you, even in the midst of that, the Word of God makes it clear you can stand firm. You can resist the temptation. Another verse that I've quoted countless times, one of the Sadly for me, there's some verses I've memorized, but it's generally not because I'm teaching it, it's because I need it. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. Meaning, even when you think nobody else understands me, nobody else is suffering like this, nobody else is tempted like this, yes, they are. No temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man, and God is faithful 
who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also, so that you will be able to endure it. So it's not just that God looks down in the midst of our weakness and Jesus as our great high priest can sympathize with us and can remember what it was like to walk around in humanity, but in the midst of those struggles, he has compassion on us. And even in the temptation, we'll provide the way of escape. Challenge for us is we don't always look for it. It's there. Or we see it and we decide, I'll try another option. But understand this. In our times of weakness, we have sympathy from our Heavenly Father and from Jesus our Savior. So three encouragements in the midst of our struggles. We have hope to stand firm in the faith. We have sympathy in our bodily weakness. And finally, and this is why I ever went here in the first place, we have help in our time of need. We have help in our time of need. Verse 16. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Probably every time I teach on a promise of God, I think that's the most important promise of God. But I don't know of many more encouraging promises of God apart from the fact that we're saved. For many of us, our time of need is today. Because of our own struggles, or because of the struggles of our children, or because of the struggles of our spouses, or because of the struggles of our parents, or because of the struggles of those we care for and love, grandchildren, and extended family, and brothers and sisters. And the point of all of it, therefore, is because Jesus understands, because he is our high priest who's taking care of our sin problem, because he's the one who enables us to hold on to our confession of faith. And because he sympathizes with us and he understands what it's like to be tempted and to be weak. Because of all those things, we, even at our weakest and at the point of our greatest struggle, can have confidence that God wants us to bring the struggle to him. Let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, meaning let us come to God directly, not cowering, not afraid, not wondering, well, is God going to zap me? Is God angry with me? We can probably think of our own sinful parenting behavior at times where our kids might have been afraid to come to us, not because we were godly examples, but because in our moments of weakness we'd shown them we aren't always rational. We don't have to have that fear from God. He's a perfect heavenly father. We can draw near with confidence to the throne of grace. That's part of Jesus passing through the heavens. He made the way. We don't have to wonder, does God want me to bring this to him? Yes, he does. I can't comprehend that. I, I used an analogy when I taught this years ago that still rings true. I think most all of us here are American citizens 
I never know if somebody might be from Canada and I just don't know it. But I have a lot of issues with what our government's doing. And I'm pretty confident that if tomorrow I called the White House, I would not talk to Joe Biden. I don't think I'd talk to Kamala Harris or the leaders of the House or Senate. I don't think Ron DeSantis would talk to me tomorrow if I called him. Why? Because they're busy and we're nobodies. I guess if we had millions of dollars to donate the campaigns, I might get through. But we're insignificant. But not to God, who's more powerful than any of those people. We have direct access right now. We don't have to take a number. You've got to take a number at Publix Daily. You don't take a number with God. You go straight to the throne of grace. That's incomprehensible. And yet it's true. Let me encourage you, don't let your weaknesses and your struggles make you susceptible to the temptations of Satan, which he is the accuser of the brethren, and which, if we're not careful, he'll convince us, look, you've already blown it. God doesn't have anything to do with you. Yeah, maybe Steve can get through to God, but who do you think you are? That's a lie from the pit of hell. You're somebody that Jesus died for and you have direct access to God. You can go with confidence through the throne of grace now regardless of your circumstance. Yes, if you're in sin, repent. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Do that, but understand if you're hurting, if you need help, God says, come right now. Jesus has made the way. And we come with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We have struggles in life. We continually sin. We don't get what we deserve from God, which is punishment, which is death. The wages of sin is death. We get mercy in Christ. We get grace and it's ongoing and it's daily and it's available to you today in the midst of your struggles. You can find mercy. You can find grace. Everything you need, God already knows. Now, of course, you may ask for something thinking that that's what you need and God knows better. I think that describes half of our prayer life. We pray for something and we wonder why God doesn't answer and only later do we realize, oh, God knew better. But God is there for you. So let me encourage you. I know many of you are hurting. Your hearts are heavy for a variety of reasons. Be encouraged because right at this moment, God says to each one of us, I'm here, and I'm ready to help. Let me close our time in prayer. Dear Heavenly Fathers, we are weak, frail creatures. Lord, we have residual sin that resides in our flesh that trips us up. But even the pains and the hurts and the tiredness that we experience on a daily basis trip us up, Lord. Some deal with chronic pain of a variety of forms in different parts of the body. And yet in the midst of it all, Lord, 
You sympathize with us. You care for us. I pray, Lord, that we would hold fast to the truth. Seems like over the last several years, we've seen in the news many pastors who have renounced the faith. Lord, let it never happen to any of us. Help us stand firm. Help us cling to Jesus. And Lord, as we stumble and bumble at times through life, I pray that you would help us to realize the privilege you've given us in Jesus. That even in the midst of our struggles and trials and our weakness, we can come with confidence to you. Lord, we thank you for what you've done and for the provision you've given us and we pray that we will avail ourselves of our access to you in prayer. And we ask all these things, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.